Hello and welcome to this podcast from the University of Leeds. I'm Friday Cordingly, the Deputy Director of Communications. I'm in conversation with Simone Boytendijk, the Vice-Chancellor, and we'll be discussing Simone's blog and podcast, All About Listening. In her blog, Simone argues that in many organisations, there is often an imbalance with people who talk more dominating the way decisions are made. Those who are quieter or are less assertive can get left out and overlooked and their contributions lost. This can result in people feeling alienated and organisations becoming less collaborative and less creative. Simone asks listeners and readers to share their thoughts. In this podcast, we'll hear what people are saying and we'll also delve a bit deeper into why Simone was keen to raise this issue. But first, in case you missed the podcast, a brief recap on what Simone was saying. There's a time for talking and a time for listening, but we don't always find the right balance. We have to get better at listening in a world that favours people who talk. We live in a society that's biased in favour of vocal people, a society that rates proposals more highly when they're formulated by those who speak loudly and confidently and frequently express themselves. As a consequence, those people play a prominent role in the group process. I don't think this always yields the best outcomes. It may be like an orchestra and the symphony it's playing. Balance is essential. Perhaps a leader is the conductor, inviting musicians to play, and at other times asking them to be silent and attentive, while always having the sound of the entire symphony in mind. So Simone, your latest blog was about group dynamics and the way the ideas and contributions from the quieter members of a group or a team can be overlooked. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you look at this issue? Yeah, thanks, Friday, for asking that. Um, Basically... A career long, a lifelong, probably also of experiences um, from different um, parts of the, the issue. Because, of course, when I was younger and more junior in my workplaces, um, I was one of the people who ran the risk of being overlooked. And then as I made it up the career ladder, I became the person often chairing meetings and being more in a position of power. And, but it took me a while to understand how, how being the chair or the team leader uh, gives you a great opportunity to draw out the more quiet people. Um, and I think that's important for two reasons. One is that it makes quiet people feel that they're part of the group if they too can be heard. But I think it's actually even more important to think about it as part of, of the, the goals we want to achieve as a group. If we want to be truly excellent, if we want to be creative, if we want to look at issues from every angle, um, it's a real waste of opportunity to not hear everybody's voices. But it took me a while to begin to see all the issues. And um, and again, because I, I both have been a quieter person or a person being quiet, but wanting to contribute and just not getting an opportunity and someone who could make a difference. And that for me sort of brought it together. And that was the reason I wanted to write about it. Thank you. And I'm interested in your early career. And you you, you talk about this in your blog about you being one of the quieter members of the team. Do you remember how that felt and what problems that caused at the time? Well, it felt and, and feels because interestingly, even though most of the time I'm now in a position of chairing and and um, it's more easy for me, of course, to get my point across. There are still meetings where I'm part of a whole group of 20 plus people. Um, and I sometimes still 
can feel like I'm the quieter person. I think for me, the, the key actually to this whole issue is um, that often we think of ourselves as sort of naturally more quiet or colleagues as naturally more quiet. So I think that's important. We think about the group dynamic because in a, in a certain group dynamic, certain people um, are almost destined to become the more quiet ones when if they were given an equal opportunity and invited instead of cut off, they may not be quiet at all. Because, of course, genetically, I haven't changed at all. And I can be quite dominant if I'm not careful. While in some past when I was younger or some past when I wasn't younger, but just not being seen as um, as important in the group as others, um, I didn't contribute as much. So I think what I'm trying to say in my blog is that that when people are quiet, we have to wonder why that is. And if we're leading, if we're in a position of, of actually being able to shape discussions, we have to be careful not to assume that because people don't say anything, they don't want to say anything or they don't have to say anything or they, ha they have nothing to say. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and we should invite them. We should make sure that every voice has an opportunity. And it's often the group dynamic that puts more junior people or people from minority groups in a position of being more quiet, being less important in the group discussion. And it may not even be their nature. Yeah, thank you. That's 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 really interesting to reflect on. There were a, a number of people commented on your blog and, and several associated with the issues that you raised with being introverted and were, were questioning how do we as an organisation and organisations more broadly, how do we make way for more introverted or quiet or reflective colleagues to enable their voice to be heard? And I think maybe thinking about that I was thinking about this not just in the context of meetings, but but actually in the wider working environment. What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, again, I think Friday it comes to what we were discussing earlier. I, I'm not sure we should necessarily label more quiet people more introverted. I think we need to be keenly aware of the group dynamic where we push people into a more quiet role. Because it just if you if you think about the number of times we interrupt each other, which is something I talk about in the blog and how many of us who are interrupting don't think about it twice. We have no idea what that actually means to the, the power in a group um, interaction or the self-confidence of people that keep being interrupted. And if we then think of the very interesting research evidence that's quite abundant, um, that women and people in minority groups get interrupted much more than white men do, then I think we start begin we begin to see a pattern. So I think even very um, extroverted women, when they're in the minority in a group with men who are used to dominate the conversation, can easily become quiet. Also because it just it's not safe to constantly um, have to fight to be heard, and it just doesn't feel very nice when you're being interrupted in the middle of an argument or when people hear you out, but then seemingly ignore what you had to contribute. So I think we can also be driven to be more introverted or quiet than we actually are because of the group dynamics. And I think there is a lot of research evidence that just shows that people somehow fall into these roles because of the way the group is being organized. There's also very interesting research done by MIT about four or five years ago where they studied groups of engineering students working together on group projects. 
And in engineering, the women mostly are in the minority. And what happened was that most of the women in these groups became the ones who were doing the menial roles. They were taking the notes or supporting the guys who were doing the work. And that had an enormous impact on clearly the output of the group, but also on their self-confidence to the point that many of the young women who were interviewed after the experiment were actually saying they weren't sure that they wanted to become engineers because they weren't sure it was really for them. And I think that's a, that's a problem that often the supervisors, the teachers who are in charge of these groups are very unaware of. I think we all are inclined to assume that the people who are less dominant or more quiet actually like it that way when maybe they don't like it that way at all, but feel like they have no choice. That makes me think that people will, and we are probably all, we do, behaving in different ways, in different environments. Um, and I'm, I suppose that leads me to question, so how do we, how do we begin to tackle and resolve that? And who's Whose responsibility is that? Well, I think it's ultimately everybody's responsibility. But I think if you don't have a leader, a chair in meetings who who gets this and who mediates and who makes sure that everybody gets an opportunity, it's very hard for individual group members to break that cycle. I mean, one thing, of course, everybody can do is try not to interrupt one another. Um, but it's much easier to to either rectify or not do it when when there's a chair who understands how to lead the group in such a way that interruptions are much less likely. And I think if you if you put a bunch of women together who've been in meetings for decades, we'll all tell stories about how often we get interrupted compared to our male colleagues. And it get, got to the point in my career. If someone was cutting me off mid-sentence, I wouldn't try and keep talking when I was being interrupted. And it just wasn't working. I couldn't do it because I had to raise my voice so high and it felt really silly. So then at some point I just stopped talking. And thankfully enough, women also interrupt each other more often than they interrupt men. So it's not, it's not only men interrupting women, it's women just being interrupted more. And it just means that you can't get your point across. So what I started doing instead was um, stopping my sentence, waiting until the person who had interrupted me was finished, and then hopefully finding a second or a millisecond to say, can I please come back to what I was just trying to say? And I noticed that that was then less likely to be interrupted, but it doesn't always work. And the problem also is if you have to start deploying, deploying tactics like that, that you're so busy with the logistics of the meeting and trying to get your point across that you can't be thinking as freely as when you don't have to think about those things. I think that's another issue that we're often unaware of, that people who have who have to put in more effort to get their point across spend a lot of time on that very um, activity, which they then can't spend on other things. And how prevalent do you think this is? I think it's extremely prevalent and I think we're just not aware of it enough. And, and as I said earlier, as, as a person who was, who was going up the career ladder, I had to learn to be aware of those things. I actually had colleagues who, who told me, who taught me how to chair meetings who were really good and very receptive. I asked for that kind of feedback, just simple technology tactic of, of asking people in turn to give their opinion, it's already extremely helpful because then others are much less likely to interrupt when it's sort of a free-for-all. 
if we're very keen to speak, we're more likely to interrupt others. But when we know we'll get a chance, because everybody will get the chance, then we're much more likely to listen to colleagues. But I think it happens a lot. And I think most of the people who are in these kinds of meetings are, are unaware of it, especially when they're the people interrupting. They have no idea they're doing it. Yeah, I'm sure this will resonate with with many listeners. I'm I'm wondering how or what advice you give to somebody who is who is in a meeting that doesn't have or isn't chaired or, or with someone with that sympathy and understanding and how what steps do they take to enable them and and others to be listened to more in that environment? Yeah, it's a really good question. I've never really thought about that. I think it's very difficult. I think it only works if you feel like you're you're a true equal member of a group, because then you can take your boss or the chair or whoever aside at some point and say, next meeting, I would like for you to do it differently. But you can just imagine, Friday, that most people who are part of underrepresented minority groups or junior women, that's the last thing that they would dare to do. So I think that's actually part of the whole issue. It's not just about sort of um, talking etiquette. It really, these kinds of meetings reflect the power dynamic in a group. And I think that's the underlying issue. Do you want everybody in a group to contribute to make the group process much more robust and, and high quality? Or is it just about let's sit together and let's you know allow some people who are naturally dominant to tell us all how they think? And I think it basically boils down to the fact that in many organizations, we're not really thinking about the entire group process and about giving people who are normally dominant an opportunity to play their role. The way that this disproportionately affects some groups, um, again, was was raised by by people commenting and, and reading your blog and listening to your podcast. Um, what do you think we can do? To, to tackle this as a university? Um, I think it starts like with everything that needs change, with awareness, with understanding the problem, um, with wanting to think about the issues. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm at, not at all implying that people who aren't aware or who are interrupting others are doing it because they're mean or unkind. I think it's just so prevalent because we're not thinking about these issues. So I hope my blog is the start of a much larger conversation where we start to realize we actually need to be aware of what we're doing, aware of the effects of it, both on individuals and on the group process. And then I think we need to be more open to um, certain voices, and that can be either in meetings or outside of meetings. It can be also in the way you delegate particularly important tasks. If we want younger voices, for instance, to be heard more, I think it would be really great if we could give younger people more of, a, of a, an important role in certain processes and, and actually actively invite them. I think may, maybe it is because we're so, um, I think, implicitly assuming that people who have something important to say will say it, that we do, we're not inviting. So I think we need to ensure that we're actually um, more outreaching that we realize that some people need to be encouraged and need to be actively asked before they can make their voices heard. So I think we need to get rid of a lot of our implicit assumptions and, and yeah, thinking about it and becoming aware is clearly a necessary first step. Yeah, okay, thank you. I'd like to talk a little bit now about not just 
listening, but also about um, what that means in terms of what you do next and what you do with the information that you've you've heard. Um, and there are some some comments on your blog suggesting that you may not have listened to some groups. How do you how do you respond to this? Um, if it's really true that I haven't listened, clearly I need to start listening. But sometimes I have listened, but then I've decided because I've listened to many different groups that something has to happen in a different way than the person um, talking or trying to reach out to me uh, wanted. So being listened to doesn't always mean that whatever it is you think needs to happen will actually happen. But I, I don't think that that's the biggest issue. I think if we listen, if we communicate, if we're open um, to one another's point of view, we're also more inclined to explain why we take a certain decision that may not exactly chime with what one of the people in the group wanted. And how how do you disseminate that as a you know as a leader when you're listening to lots of different points of view and really hearing them? How do you then? make decisions and progress when you've got maybe lots of differing points of view and you you can't give everyone the answer that you want or they want <laughs> yeah that's a brilliant question <laughs> lots lots of books have been written about this <laughs> i don't know how much time we have probably not enough um uh, yeah god i think i can give so many answers maybe maybe the most important thing to realize as as we're leading is that decisions aren't black and white um, and decision-making and change is a very iterative process. Um, and there are all kinds of different ways of listening to people and hearing their voices. But I think ultimately it's about always communicating. It's about listening and talking with intent, not just talking because, because but explaining and and making sure that when you take a decision, everybody feels that you've truly listened to them. And I think then it's also much more acceptable that maybe the decision isn't the one that they wanted. But it, it, it it's, it's absolutely terrible when you feel like you weren't able to get your point across and it was important. I think we can both commiserate. We've both been on that end too. When, when finally a decision is being made, and you feel like I didn't even have an opportunity to talk about what my point of view is. If you've had that opportunity and you're in a room with lots of people who all have a, have a particular point of view and there's not one unanimous answer, I don't think it's necessarily devastating when you don't get your way, as long as it feels like your opinion was weighed and ultimately it was a fair process. But a lot of that doesn't get get decided in just one minute. It's a process with big, important change programs of months and years. So maybe that's also one thing we can all keep in mind, that there are different ways of getting different voices heard and not every major decision necessarily should take place at the top table in one crucial meeting that takes half an hour. Mm. Yeah, okay, thank you. I think um, finally, and, and this is, I think, possibly particularly prevalent at the moment as we are all working remotely but there, there was a, a, a an honest comment I think in relation to your blog especially at the moment when we tend to be working on on teams or zoom listening is 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 very is very difficult and there is the um, there is a temptation to multitask and both listen and task all at the same time what do you think about this 
Yeah, I think it's it's a really important observation. And my answer would be, please don't multitask when you're in a meeting. Um, that's important. And all meetings should be important because otherwise we shouldn't be having them. It's so seductive because it feels like you really can you know, make up for lost time and do lots of things at the same time. But it's inevitable that you miss clues, you miss parts of people's stories, you miss how it hangs together. And I think online Zoom team meetings actually can be really good and very interactive. And there's more discipline in, in, in talking. People are less likely to all talk together and to, to talk over each other, I find, when they have to raise their hand and wait for their turn. So I sometimes actually find it easier to chair. But at the same time, we don't get each other's body language as easily. We don't have the same overview of the table. We can't see how people who sit together respond to each other. Um, so we, we need to be really attentive. But I think we owe it to ourselves and each other to, to be attentive in meetings. And if we really feel like the meeting is so useless, we can be doing our emails in the meantime. Um, yeah, it's better to think about whether we should have that meeting than um, starting to do the email. So I, I try not to multitask, and it is seductive because especially when you turn off your camera, no one can see what you're doing. But I would really advise against it. There's so much I'm learning from just observing and listening and, and quietly uh, being there when I'm not talking myself. And I think I'm more focused on what I want to get across when I've truly listened to everybody else. That's really sage and sound advice, Simone. Thank you. Uh, that's all the questions that we had for you, Simone. But is there anything else that you would like to say or one, one last piece of advice for us? Well, maybe just one um, bit of advice to end with. Um, what I've noticed myself is that as I listen more intently and as I I'm in meetings where it truly feels that everybody has their say. I'm so much more happy about the meetings and in the meetings. And it really feels like it was worth the effort and the energy to put in. So I think for, for us as individuals, but also for our, our teams and our organizations, it's really worth practicing and listening and, and talking skills and, and the skills of, of really worthwhile group dynamics. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much hoping that my blog is the beginning um, yeah, of more discussions about this and, of course, the kinds of discussions <laughs> that we want where people are truly listening to each other and, and where it's an exchange of ideas. Great. Thank you. Simone, it's been a real pleasure. So um, thank you so much for, for both listening and for talking this afternoon. Um, much appreciated. And thank you, Friday, for asking all those excellent questions. Thank you for listening. Please look out for further podcasts and follow Simone on Twitter at S.E. Boytendike, where among beautiful pictures of her time in Yorkshire so far, you'll be able to find her latest blog about being a leader in a time of crisis. You can also follow the University of Leeds on Twitter at University Leeds.